Welcome to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. We are recording this at Demolition Games on Saturday, August 3rd. Demolition Games is located at 3300 South and 85 West in Salt Lake City, Utah. We highly suggest coming down to Demolition for great deals. Today is Episode 2, Worker Placement. On today's show, we talk about the games that we've played over the last week or so, including Ariel, which we talked about in the last show. Random board game questions from each of us, our top three worker placement games, then we take a look at Pipeline, which none of us have played before. We talk about the components and our expectations on it, and if you join us next week, we will talk about our actual opinions about it. We are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Jacob. I'm Justine. I'm Matt. I bought a new board game. What board Ooh. game last night? Um, I say that like it's a surprise, but I, I buy board games like twi- two to three times a month. What was the build-up to this one? Because I know you've mentioned that you're very exacting now as an older man, older and wiser board gamer. So you're researching the... games to buy. Yeah. Well, so first of all, I feel like we've been in this dry spell, right? And I feel mm. like it happens every year between Origins, after Origins, and before S- yeah, uh, before Gen Con. Right. was like, you go and look at the new arrivals and you're like, oh, nothing? Oh, yeah. that game? What? <laughs> so I found it on the Gen Con list, mm. to answer your question. And I didn't know it was going to release. And it's the first time in a long time where I've like been excited about a game and then saw it on the shelf and bought it in the shelf that I found it on is Target, of all places. Huh. It's horrified. Uh, oh, I literally saw that on Board Game Geek when I was like, Brandon might like this. But then it's cooperative, and I was mm-hmm. like, he's going to want one with like, the Monsters Chain. You're right. I don't typically like cooperative games, but the theme drew mm-hmm. me in, and then I watched a gameplay, and the monsters are like asymmetric, mm-hmm. and there's six monsters, and you put up to three or four if you want a really hard game in, but the monsters have different things that you're that you're trying to do. Like... Frankenstein and, and the Bride, or Frankenstein's monster and the Bride, um, you have to make them human again. Not make them human, but like bring humanity to them, and then huh. let them come together to fall in love. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, like the Wolfman, you have to you have to find the antidote for him. Uh, but it just looks really cool, and uh, yeah. So you've purchased it, haven't got to the table yet. Yeah, I purchased it. I punched it out. I got excited for it, and, but I haven't played it. So maybe we should talk about the games that we've actually played. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this week I played Reckold by Uwe Rosenberg. Um, I'd kind of been leaving it on the shelf because I feel like these days Rosenberg does a lot of the same games without having very many novelties in his games. Uh, so I was skeptical, but I was pleasantly surprised. I liked it. Um, the closest comparison is actually Gates of Loyang. I wasn't mm. expecting that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of like Gates of Loyang with the moderator off. Um, in Loyang, you can only plant one field per turn. In this game, you can plant all your fields and you can have, you know, this crazy big vegetable engine. Um, it's kind of like a Feast for Odin, but with a really pared down board. There's only like 12 tight worker placement spots. Um, um, so I like that. It's a really quick game. Mm-hmm. And kind of the master novelty of it is it has the victory point track, you know, how you win the game. Um, it has a bunch of vegetables going mm-hmm. around the outside of the board in increasing quantities. And every turn you're allowed one chance to pay those vegetables to go up. Um, but kind of the catch is for one of the steps, you can choose to actually get the vegetables. 
So it feels something like this. You're like, I'm going to pay three tomatoes, pay three lettuce, I'm going to get three mushrooms, and then I'll pay three cabbages. Um, maybe sounds dry to some people, but that is right up my alley. Yeah. I was in seventh heaven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. We played it together. When yeah. you say vegetable engine, it reminds me of the last stage of Super Mario Bros. 2 where they just have that weird <laughs> engine just throwing vegetables up in the air and you have to throw them at King Bowser. Oh, like that there. They need to make a dexterity game based on that. I guess exactly they did. as Super exciting Mario. as that. <laughs> How have you felt about Uwe Rosenberg? I feel like he's done. He's done Fields of Arl, uh, Feast for it. Odin. I liked it. Did you play the expansion also? Yes, I'm a fan. Caverna? Uh, I liked Caverna, too. Mm-hmm. Have you played as two-player versions of those, like Cave versus Cave or Agricola, the small farm version? No, I haven't. I've always wanted to. They're on my haven't played, but mm-hmm. I'm sure I'll like list. So you're in general a fan of Uwe Rosenberg's stuff, and this one harking back to Mark Gates' way? I used to be, but I feel <laughs> like he's tricking me into playing the same game over and over again. I, but no I, doubt, no doubt. Yeah. But if you love those games, then who cares, right? You're getting a yeah. different variation of those games. Mm-hmm. I don't have extensive experience with this thing, but also because you're placing Lahav, like, uh, which I've only played one play of, like, I could totally see that if you took this game and then twisted it a little bit there where it's the same game, but also he made it a cater towards for me, I could see myself being like, oh, this, I see why, you know what I mean? So that's why I feel like he does different things, but I don't have a lot of experience with his, his games. Yeah, and I mean, he has those puzzly games too, right? Like mm-hmm. Patchwork and Spring Meadow. Good Patchwork? Those, those are, yeah. yeah. And those are different than, like, say, like your Cavernas and Agricola <laughs> type games. He definitely explores a mechanic or an idea to its end. He's going to start with the pentominoes, and he's going to explore that pentominoes and what he can mm-hmm. do with that until the very end. That's kind of he, he kind of does what I do in gaming, where like I'll get obsessed with a mechanic and I'll just like buy games of that type for a while and then I'll drop it and yeah. go through a different yeah, route. Yeah. He does that as a designer, so I guess I can respect that. And this was to me, we played it together mm-hmm. and it was just so different from anything he's done. It, it felt like a combination of Gates of Loying and um, Agricola, but without all of like the choriness. In Agricola, there's between rounds, it's very, make sure you put the wood in the spot, make sure you put the stone in the spot, and this is very simple, easy. Just take your workers back. A half an hour, maybe an hour to play. Yeah, it's a half Mm -hmm. an hour. Really? Yeah. How much does this game sell for? Was it a two-player game? Yes, two-player. It can go up to four, but we just played the two-player game. How much does the game sell for? A a little bit too much. That's another thing I think he's doing. this. So I want to say it's a $60 game, but it has about the depth and variability of... Inland Port, another game he made, which uh-huh. just came in a little box and was like twenty dollars. Inland Port is that's La two player of the half, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, this could have come in a much smaller box and not been sixty dollars. Yes, yeah, kind of. <laughs> like I feel like a lot of his games go for a minimum sixty, and then Feast of Odin is like eighty or ninety for those ones. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I think there's something to be said for a nice. It's because he's a superstar. Like Forty dollars, yeah. paying yeah. for the brand name. <laughs> it also then Caverna has like thirty. Back horses, horses. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and they're <laughs> this well, does have a bunch of wooden meeples it's overproduced veggie meeples yeah and wheelbarrows to put them in and yeah i think that. that's the trend in board gaming it's going towards games that are very like like you're buying a visually impressive like kit thing because i mean that's how the marketing would go as long as they just don't turn into holograms i'm fine yeah what else did you guys play this week I played a game of Root this week. 
And so um, Root is a game that takes <coughs> variable player powers and pushes it to the extreme to the point where each different player is playing a, basically a different game. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you might be the birds and you're playing a programming game or you're uh, the, the cats and you're playing like a basic um, war game. What faction did you play as? I, oh, that's a good question. I played as the Vagabond. So the Vagabond is playing almost like a farming. I mean, you, you're crafting, what are, what are the you're meeples? running around. What are they? Mine is a, it's a little raccoon. Oh, it's the raccoons. It's, the raccoon. it's one raccoon, right? One yeah. raccoon, yeah. yeah. And so you're like hopping around the forest and making trades and all of that stuff, completing quests. Um, I mean, for what it is, it's fun. I think that between the card draws that you can have and the dice rolls for combat, it makes it really random. Remind me, I was trying to think the other day what the what the the combat is because I know it's not just chuck, you just roll dice and evaluate numbers. Yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you roll two dice. The attacker always takes the highest number. Mm -hmm. um, That's what it was. Yeah. That was a little bit different. You might have a surprise ambush card. If you get attacked in a certain clearing before combat rolls, you can play, for instance. And are, is the, their dice roll being compared to how many people you have on yeah. the board? It so, adds to that, right? No, it's um, if you have three people in the space and you roll a three, you can deal three hits. But if you only have one person in the space and you roll a three, you can only deal There's one There's no hit. defense. The defense is the people. You don't roll dice yeah. as a defender. You just get the lower of the two dice. Yeah. Oh, you get the yeah. lower of the two yeah. die. And that adds to, to the people? Or no? Um, it's no, it's just taking off pieces. So, like, if the defender manages to defend, the attacker loses pieces. Okay, it's worse than I thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's well, it's interlocking bad mechanisms that make for a really fun experience. Yeah, it's a it's <laughs> a fun experience. Yeah. It's I don't mind playing it once every few months. It's not a game I necessarily want to buy. It's not a game I necessarily want to play and play and play. Um, and because of that, it's actually a little bit worse because to have a really satisfying game, you have to know the factions that you're playing against really well. Probably played them too. Yeah. Because like in our game, the um, the person who was playing the uh, otters just like took off and I had no idea how to stop them. Oh. <laughs> like there was nothing I didn't know. And none of us really knew what to do to stop them. That was the problem I had with the game where I played as, I think it's the Eerie. Is that the birds? Is that the birds? Yeah. I love the programming. I love yeah. the, like, not trying to, like, explode my program. Mm -hmm. I really liked that. But then I was like, I don't know what everyone else is doing. I don't know why they're doing that. Like, I mm -hmm. got a brief description of what everyone's doing, but I don't remember. I'm really focused on what I'm doing. So, like, yeah. it's really hard to stop people. Yeah. If you haven't played a lot. That was the criticism route. You had to play. Everyone had to be able to fit the faction. So if you're playing the cats, you can look over at the birds and be like, oh, the birds are doing this. I need to do that. Mm -hmm. And stuff like that. The there. first five to ten games is the learning game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're like the new player, you're going to get crushed because you have no idea what's going on. Yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> I want to play Villainous, like for some reason. And I think it's because it seems like light route mm -hmm. because it's like asymmetric powers and everyone's playing a little bit of a different game does does root feel because i've never played root does it feel more like an area control kind of like inish game where it's like dudes on a map kind of thing or does it feel more like a euro game oh way more like an inish more it, like an inish. So? one of the factions feels remotely euro-y 
<laughs> what is it? Yeah, is the it rest maybe don't. They all feel everything. You guys just played the base game without the expansion? I think it's... No, we played no. the two expansion packs. Yeah. What? Oh Otters my goodness. Wizards. I feel like it's more of a war game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess Anish could yeah. be considered a light war game. But I consider I don't know. it, you know, dudes on a map. But mean, what I mean is like like a chip-pull, hex-encounter kind of like big, grandiose oh. war game. Exactly. Kind of like a GMT. Yeah. Thing. I mean, the designer... He took some of the coin mechanisms, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. Well, that's why I was going to move on to. So, Coral, Cole Whirl, is that the designer? Cole Whirly. Whirly, yeah. yeah. And he did, oh, I feel the like designer, he's, yeah. uh, his games are getting he a did lot John of hype. John Company. John Company and the PAX Premier, yeah. which in general, I feel like his games are getting a very lot of hype in the board game group, but I feel like us four people sitting in this room right now are a little cooler on his design. I, yeah, I would say that's, for yeah. me, it's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I played John Company once and I just wasn't thrilled with it. Um, PAX Premier, we've talked about it. I saw your I face while you were playing John Company and that didn't okay. thrill me at all. <laughs> and I saw the other person too that was playing it and then you guys kind of came up to me and, and but was like, The same no. two people who had positive opinion of PAX Premier love John Company. Right. I, I bet you yeah. that. I don't know if that they love Root. They do yeah. love Root. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any other games you guys played? Um. I, well, I got a chance to play Gaia Project this week, which is um, Terra Mystica in space. Mm-hmm. One of the things I like about it is it's e- an easier game to me. You're not going to get cut off. You're not going to have your game completely ruined by someone taking mm-hmm. a hex that you need. But the one thing about Gaia Project is that it sacrifices its elegance. Terra Mystica is such an elegant, easy, simple... Not easy, but it's a the simple mechanics it's an elegant game and i feel like gaia project in order to make it more interesting and make it worth buying they had to sacrifice a lot of that elegance to make Mm -hmm. more rules and cases i think it's a great way to describe it that's i need to play it again i i shouldn't say any judgment on Mm -hmm. it i played i played it once but not even to the end i played it at saltcon Mm-hmm. And one of the strangers playing with us, it was like me and a friend and then just a stranger, which is the beauty of SaltCon. Mm-hmm. But um, they were like, I got to go in the middle uh, of the game. And I was yeah. like, what, really? They're like, yeah, can you continue playing? And I was like, not no. Really? No, not at all. <laughs> but go ahead if you have to leave. So then like that probably left a stain on it. But I just remember it being like more rulesy. And I know that they had to add it because it's now in space and there's empty spaces now. Mm-hmm. Where in Terra Mystica, that's not the case. But I, I just like immediately like Terra Mystica better. It just felt more elegant, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like really easy to teach, too. I yeah. feel like the, the real person's opinion, because Matt is the resident expert on Terra Mystica has played it over 100 times. How many times have you played Gaia Project, though? Only like 10. And maybe that's my favorite thing about it is that I can bring it to the table and not just win by 50 from just brute force experience, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm still new to that game and exploring the different factions cool. with everybody else. So I kind of save it for playing live against people. So mm-hmm. it's more interesting for me. Yeah, I, I played Guy Project once and I just kind of felt like I wish I was playing Terra Mystica the entire time. That's how I, I just, felt too. Um, I just felt like it's like you kind of did a variation on Terra Mystica, but Terra Mystica is just better. Yeah. Um, for this one, Terra did have that sort of elegance, that sort of streamlined things. Uh, I mean, when I played it back in the day, I just remember it had lots of rules with it, but then you never, once you taught it to people, they just got it because everything just streamlined and went together. And uh, it just felt like the scoring was good. It's just a good flow with the game. So I feel like Guy Project is for the people that have played Terra Mystica too many times. And like Matt said, now he's ready to explore a new, like, 
a new world within the same system. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so yeah, the games I played last week, I was a little light this week. Some life stuff came up there, uh, and the p- games I did play with the people or with the people sitting at the table. Uh, we played Miramez, Miramez, Miramez. It's the game with the ants. Mirms. 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 Some people just uh, pronounce it as Merms as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Mermies. <laughs> I don't think it's that though. The yeah. game Wise Atari puts Y's into words that don't shouldn't have Y's in them, which makes pronunciation dicey. So no, we played Miramis and then we played Bruxelles last one. And I felt like a little both of those ones, almost a little bit, but a little bit over my head. It might be because I had kind of a head cold last week there. Uh, or Miramis is an interesting design. You're you're managing your worker ants and sending them out there and just fighting for control of stuff. There's different scoring mechanisms. Um, I feel like I'd really need a second play to sort of have all those mechanisms click together and find out what the strategy is in there. I felt like in a little ways... Um, I felt like I was t- sort of struggling to stay above water just to kind of figure out where the stuff there's, um, not excelling, but, you know, just succeeding. What did you guys feel about the game? I really want to play Merms again. Um, I really enjoyed the game. I thought it, the, um, managing your nurses and your worker ants and your soldier ants and all of that was really cool. Um, you're kind of always struggling to get the things that you need because if you're going to take a turn to create worker ants, you're not going to have the ability to create the soldiers that you might need to go out and get food. Um, if you're going to take a turn to create larvae that helps for mm-hmm. food and stuff, you are not going to have enough to, uh, you're not going to have a worker ant to go out and wander around the map. Yeah, the your underground ant colony board is really cool. Um, it's just a fun theme. If you guys like bugs growing up, now you get to play with bugs again. That's <laughs> true. It does have little cool ant tokens, like little rubber ants mm-hmm. you put on oh, your yeah, board. Those are sick. Mm-hmm. So the most of the game is just is just like you know cubes and stuff like that. But you have the little rubber ants, which is kind of fun for that issue. Um, I don't feel a strong urge to go out and play Mira Messages. Maybe it just one of them wasn't viscerally fun enough. I thought it was an interesting design, and I definitely would play it again. I didn't dislike the game. Um, I wonder if there are only so many strategies that everyone's kind of got to be funneling into doing the same thing. It has variable end game goals. Uh So I think that might save it from what you're talking about. There's easy, medium, and hard end game goals. You know, have seven worker ants, kill ten ladybugs, something like that. And I think there's enough of those to make the game different every time. But, but we've I, only mm-hmm. played it once. But know. I also feel like those ones are the main way of scoring points, I felt like. So this game has this thing where, yeah, you have the easiest one, uh, easy, medium, and hard objectives, and you have to do the easy ones before you can do the medium ones, and then do easy and medium ones before you do the hard ones. And the game also has an interesting mechanic whereby if you're first to that objective, every time somebody else goes to the objective, you get victory points. So it's like you get there first, you get the victory points, oh, okay. and then later people get there. But there's also two different ones. And so if people don't go to the one that you chose, you're not there right. as well. Yeah. And so you kind of have to find the inflection points in the game because <clears throat> the, some of them are expensive. Some of them are like, mm-hmm. take two warrior ants off the board and that will crush your ability to find food that harvest. It's also a feed your people mechanic like the yeah. and whatever. Okay. Um, and so you're sacrificing your engine for points and when do you start doing that? How late in the game? I thought that was an interesting decision there. Mm-hmm. I'm glad this is more positive than negative from you guys because it's on my shelf and I haven't played it, but like I, I really want to play it. My fiance really likes ants. She was the one that pressed <laughs> to like 
play yep. it to buy the game. So I'll one hundred percent play it again. I uh, I really liked it. Cool. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's super solid. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. And I, I would have to play it again. It is a unique enough design that when you play it for the first time, I don't think you can make any solid assessments of the game. I, off the top of my head, I really can't think of anything that's mechanically like Nermis. Mm-hmm. Um, as in depth. Of and then the other game we played right after that was uh, Bruxelles. Bruxelles. Brussels. Brussels. Brussels, yeah. 1893. Uh, Brussels sprouts. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I thought the game was good. I really like worker placement games and just things of that name and um, I just thought it had a really interesting design with the different things there I understand Matt and Justine has played this game just a bunch of times it's kind of like a, a board game staple um, but it was another game that I, I would want to play again there uh, felt, have you tried that one? I have never played it what? no I've never played it I, I've seen it on the shelves of Demolition eyeballing yeah. me, and I'm like, gosh, I should buy that game but then that time passed and now there's new games coming out and that one yeah. got forgotten but um yeah, I would I would definitely play it. It looks really good. It has yeah. that real Art Deco style that I think draws people in. Or it's mm-hmm. like it yeah. catches your eye and you're like, what is this game? Yeah, I saw I saw you guys playing it and it was set up and I yeah. go, Ooh, that looks nice. It looks really yeah. cool. And then uh, it is an interesting mechanic where it cuts off the player board of spaces you can go and you have a player who chooses that and stuff. And I just, I think mean, it's just nice. And then uh, the last game I played was Oracle of Delphi. And I know uh, two people are sitting at this table have played it because I played it with them in the game. Have you played Oracle of Delphi? <laughs> Um, Oracle of Delphi, right? Yeah, yeah. Delphi. I, I hadn't. You know, we were deciding games when you yeah. guys played that, and I said, I'm going to play the better Steffenfeld game with yeah. Trajan. <laughs> but then you guys set it up, and I was like, oh, I was thinking of... Um, Aquasphere. Aquasphere. Yeah. I haven't oh. played it. But it looks like it had the same issue that I had with Aquasphere where you're moving around, right? Yeah. Um, so Oracle of Delphi, instead of really having a victory point, you just have 10 tasks that you need to uh, achieve for uh, Zeus, and then every turn you're rolling three dice, and it's a little bit like Castles of Burgundy, where you have your dice, and your dice is going to tell you what you do, Mm. and then you roll it, and then at the end of your turn, so you have your all the other players' turn to think about your dice before you're going to do, and anything you do in the game can correspond with these dice. Um, One big difference between Castle and Burgundy, because it does have bear some superficial similarities in that you're using the dice, and a lot of times you're trying to mitigate the randomness of the dice, is and in Castle and Burgundy, your dice can go either way. In this one, there's a wheel, and it's clockwise. Um, Overall, the game works. I don't think it's one of Steffenfeld's stronger designs. Yeah, I don't know if I would have given it a shot if it weren't designed by Steffenfeld. Um, Every single mechanism is packed with randomness. But he is a master game designer, and a lot of it comes out really fun anyway. Yeah, Yeah, Mm. it's a fun game. It's a race game, which I don't think Steffenfeld has done. Not that I know of, yeah. Um, Which is really neat to have his take on a race game. Mm -hmm. Um, It's... Definitely random. It's definitely not like perfect information. Um, but I think it, for what it is, it's really fun. So it's a route optimization game, and I've only played it two players. So Justine compared two to four. In four player, I imagine people are jumping in front of you left and right and just really screwing up your plan. And is it ugly or is it? Yeah, in a four player game, it's a lot tighter. Um, we ran into a lot of. I ran into a lot of things where people would jump ahead and take a resource that I wanted or deliver to a statue space that I wanted, which doesn't happen in a two-player game. Um, How they balance for a two-player game, though, is that there's just fewer things on the board. So there's fewer Mm -hmm. cubes to deliver to temples. There's fewer monsters. So, I mean, I think it scales really well. Yeah. 
Uh, one thing there's got to be different too is there's a little bit of blocking in our game because you can't be on the same space. But the map is big enough that realistically it shouldn't happen a lot. But a lot of times, like if you're gonna sit next to a resource, you have to pick it up there. And it did come up a couple times where players were blocking the fact. I can't imagine that happening in a two-player game. Not really, no. So the game that I played was Detective City of Angels. This has nothing to do with the Portal Games Detective. It is completely a different game from a different designer from a different publishing company. Hmm. Same theme, though, for the most part. Except Detective City of Angels is a 1940s noir detective game. It's part RPG, part open sandbox, and part detective game. Um, there's simple actions in it, and the first action you can do is move. You have four cubes, those are representing your actions that you're going to take. And then your board will tell you each action that you could take, and you put that cube on the board, signifying that you took the action. Now, speaking of movement in a game, how I don't like movements in games, this fixes it. And I was really impressed by it because when you're on a region, the regions have numbers on them. So these are like locations, mm -hmm. which may or may not be significant to the game that you're playing the scenario. When you move, you use one action cube to move within any space in that region. So you could be way up on the top of a region, spend one cube to go all the way to the bottom of the region. The regions also have connecting spaces to where if you're standing in one of those spaces, effectively you're in two different regions. So the most cubes, the most actions you're going to spend to move is about two. Now the person running the game said, if you want to get from one side of the map to way on the other, maybe you spend three movement cubes. But I didn't see that the entire game. I would move twice if I needed to move far. I spend two actions. I have now two more actions. I'm in the exact spot that I need to be. Every time I move, I'm in the exact spot I need to be because I go to the spot that I want to in the region instead of like moving adjacent spaces. Thematically, it works because I'm not walking. I'm a detective. I'm probably in a car. Yeah. You know, so that's that's one thing that the game does really good is the movement. It fixes it. I never took a turn where I just moved. Yeah. And that's my biggest problem with games that have movement in it. Okay, some other things you could do is you can you can search an area, you can search a person. Now there's suspects on the, the game board and they're little standees. There are also cards that are at the top of the, the game board that will have you know suspects, they'll have items, sometimes you'll have uh, just information. Sometimes these cards will be face down and sometimes other players will get to know that information. They put a token there through various actions. Um, and you're, you have a sheet of paper that's a grid, okay? So you have a column, and on that column, you're gonna have all the suspects. Um, in a row, you're gonna have everything that's on the board, which is gonna be the same suspects and items and, and mm -hmm. information. So you have this grid to where if you ask a question about this, you could just meet the two right in the box what the answer is. So it's very clear information as you're getting it. When you look at your sheet, you know what you've asked and who and what. Um, okay, so the questioning is like the heart of the game. When, you're, when you question a person, you're asking the chisel. What's the chisel? Basically the game master, the person running the game. Um, but it's not so open for him. He's not deciding like what monsters come out and mm -hmm. when you roll dice, it's very structured, right? So he has rules that he has to follow. He's playing his own game. He's playing a very different game than the detectives are playing. He's trying to make the case go cold. Oh, cool. So 
you ask you ask him the question. You have to ask a suspect that's on the board. You have to ask about one of those cards that are on the board, like either about a suspect, a weapon, or information. But it has to be on the card, and you have to know that that knowledge. You ask him. Okay, first thing he could do is you have little fedora hats of your color, and he starts with one. He get it through various ways as well. He could spend that to you and just say, like, the question's blocked. Like, thematically, you've asked him a question. He's like, whoa, 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 I'm not answering that, you know? Mm-hmm. So he could do that, but you could spend two bucks to hire a goon. A goon, thematically, the goon mm-hmm. comes and roughs him up, and he's like, okay, I'll talk. <laughs> so after that, if that, if that even occurred, because he could just answer the question. On, on his side, he has that same grid, but all of it's filled in. And he could look at all the questions that he's allowed to, to answer with, right? So he could answer something very useful, not very useful, kind of ambiguous, or he could lie. Okay, so let's say that he slips in. It's like this little slip card. You slip into a thing, and he gives it to you, and only you can see. You look at it, and you can say, this, sir, this is a lie, right? Mm-hmm. If it's not a lie, if he was telling the truth, and I give him one of my fedora hats, he puts it on his board so he could block questions later on. He oh, could do something cool. else with the fedora hat too. But if I if he was lying, first of all, he has to put that fedora hat underneath the person who I'm asking. Now I have some leverage over that person. Mm-hmm. Which, if I'm asking a question, I could spend that leverage mm-hmm. and just immediately get an honest answer out of him. Mm-hmm. What also happens is he has to give me a truth now. So he switches out the answer, gives me a truth. Um, and then I write that information down. The players in the game, because this seems like a big, long thing happening, right? And when the yeah. rules were being explained to me, I would go, man, this is going to be a lot of downtime in between turns. But what you do if it's not your turn, and I'm watching, say, Matt ask a question, right when he a- asks that question, we have to put chips down. We have two snitch chips. These chips on the on the front side have pass and bribe on it. And it also has a little kid on it. So, so thematically speaking, you're sending a little kid to go <laughs> listen into the conversation, come back and tell you information. So you put it down face down and you're mainly hiding it from the chisel because the chisel can spend one of your hat colors and say, I'm blocking your snitch. He doesn't know if he's blocking a pass. He might have just like used it up for no reason. But if you don't get blocked, after the whole thing happens with the questioning and the blocking yeah. and the unblocking and the lie and the whatever, now everybody flips their tokens. If you bribed, you pay $3 and you get to see the information that the player sees. Oh, cool. So another problem that the game solves is that you're engaged in everybody's turn. Yeah. You want to be like note-taking. And also the, the cases in it is not like Clue. You're not just deducting. You're not just like crossing this off, crossing this off. Okay, it's these things. Mm-hmm. It feels like detective work where you really have to pay attention to what the people are saying. I missed who done it, and I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but I missed who done it because of one word. That word was was instead ah. of did. And I was like, how clever. You're really engaged in the whole game. You're never taking a turn to just move. And you're engaged in everybody's turn. You're wondering, like, what was said. You're watching their facial expressions. You can, like, say stuff like I was going, like, oh, you guys didn't bribe? You missed out on this information. Mm. It was nothing. Uh-huh. And now I'm encouraging them to waste their time to go and talk to this person. So you can get you can get so involved in the game where you could be talking like old-timey detectives and get really into it and be mean to each other. Or you can play like Euro gamers and be very mechanical about it and really try to figure out this case and, and, and quietly play. 
I think it's a great game. I keep thinking about it over and over again, and I think it might be the best game of its type so far. It was Detective City of Angels. So last week we hyped up the game Ariel. It's uh, kind of like what a polynomial game where you're playing with, the, <laughs> with the, the Tetris pieces there, and it's got the Brazilian party theme. Polyominal. You're not polyominal. Anything, yeah. What yeah. is it? What's the round, right pronunciation for that? Polyominal. Mm-hmm. Polyominal. Yeah. Polyominal. Okay. Polyamorous. No, it's uh, no. Some of the titles are. Um, yeah, some. Justine, tell, tell us about the game. Give us an overall of the game. So in Ariel, you are. Um, it's a lot like Tetris. You have your board. You're sliding pieces in. The pieces all look like Tetris pieces, um, and your goal is to finish rows. Or that's what you would think. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, the goal is to finish rows. The goal is to, you know, you're Tetrising. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one way to play the game. Because every time you finish a row, you get a point that you might be able to keep. You might not be mm-hmm. able to keep. Uh, another way to score points is by putting the same colors next to each other. So if you put two blue polyominoes next to each other, mm-hmm. you get a little blue meeple, and that's one point. If you have... The mo the biggest area of blues next to each other, you would get two blue meeples, which is two points that mm-hmm. can get stolen from you by other people, depending on if they make a larger area than you. Um, every time you form a row, you get a little white meeple that goes on your entrance tile, and your entrance tile is moving up and down depending on different things. Um, and you might be able to keep the white meeple. If you make it through an entire round without um, having to cover up your entrance, or you might lose your white meeple by having to cover up your entrance. Also, you can't rows. just like, okay, I place two blues next to each other, I get a blue meeple. If I connect another blue to that space, it doesn't do anything except for add to majority. Uh-huh. If I make another blue space that's not touching, that's where I could get more blue yeah. points. Yeah. That was interesting. Um, our expectations were. What was our expectations for it? It was just kind of I like neutral, it's right? Tetris. We're who doesn't of, like Tetris? Yeah, it's it was like it was okay. like it would probably be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I remember because the designer uh, Paulo Soledad and Nuno Bizarro Santiero, who did Panamax and Nippon, I was ex- I wanted to know whether it was going to be a heavy game like they usually design, but with pentominoes or like a lighter game. I was pleasantly surprised that they created a lighter feeling game. Um, with depth, though, right? With depth, yeah. yeah. Because you're there's so different. There's more choices than just in, in these regular yeah games. Like if we played bricks, which is like very really fun, but I don't feel like there's that much yeah. depth to it. It's just kind of a fun press your luck roll and write game. Because part of Ariel uh-huh. is you get to choose what your the next player is placing after you've taken your pieces from there's a little octagon in the middle with yeah there's a wheel in the middle and you have what three actions on your turn yeah so you can just take 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 these three objects and drop them but you have to drop them in which the orientation which they are to you like pointed to you but you can turn the wheel to turn them as one action. As an action, but you're using up an action, so now you're only going to get two things. If you turn the wheel two times, you're going to get one thing. 
I don't know why you'd ever turn the wheel three times. I guess just to you really can't. It's actually you within can't. Oh, you, you can't. Yeah, you okay, have to good. Drop one thing around. Good. Yeah. That's that's that would be really bad. That's right. You have to drop one. Um, then you drop these things, and it's yeah. I was also really pleasantly surprised because it, I I found the game really fun, but really thinky. There's yeah, and I have to like 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 I wish I could take off my head in that game and turn it. To see what the other player's seeing, yeah, it's not that difficult to, to just like turn it in your mind. Uh-huh. But when you're you're turning the thing and you're you're giving the other players what they're gonna get, you're looking at their boards. It's really kind of mean game, but it doesn't it doesn't feel that mean because you're not taking stuff away from them. You're just making things harder for people. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I guess I'll be the only person at this table with a negative uh, opinion of the game. Uh, first of all, congrats. I think that we should celebrate the publisher and their game for doing a great job on the art design for this item. Mm-hmm. You could very easily demand... Mechanics of the game are essentially abstract. Um, the theme doesn't tie in there, but the way they use the theme of the item does make it pop. Um, mm-hmm. Instead of yeah, just having right. the little tiles, they have all the people on there that are dancing. It feels very festive. Yeah, um, Ariel is a Portuguese, like party festival yeah. in the streets yeah, yeah. And, and, and and the art does like the dark art does like show you that like it, it does look like that's happening it's a crazy party because sometimes people are standing on their heads yeah and all yeah. the tokens are different the artwork is beautiful it has that kind of cartoony artwork styles it's just great it feels festive um the box art itself looks good it looks like something you want in your shelf if you're in a bear game store it's one of those designs that just pops you want to pick it up and go look at it I really like the art decision on this one. It also has like the start players, just a little basil plant, and it has the thing that part of the fe- festival is you give that. I guess they would give it to their girlfriend as part of the thing there. It just feels nice. It, it feels happy. It feels light. And uh, um, for this game, the things I didn't like about it is I felt like the scoring was a little too much. I mean, really think about it. There's three, three scorings. You're either forming new colonies of just two. So if you have two, you get the meeple on there, and that's yours. Um, add a third one it doesn't do anything you're either trying so you're trying to set up new things of different colors or you're trying to do the biggest one but having a new area is worth one having the biggest one of all the players is worth two meeples so the game is relatively low scoring for mm-hmm. these issues so it doesn't feel that great if you have that like if you have the biggest one you're like okay I got this but you're like do I actually even care if I have the largest one because it's just an extra meeple I could get that extra meeple just by creating they're just separating my large one out if I can, I can add another one to make it into two ones, or I can just be, hey, I could just make a new one and give that extra meeple for that issue. Is it a big deal that I have the extra two there for this? I issue? think it's it's meeples. it's a it's another way of scoring, mm-hmm. right? So it's yeah. not the way to score. So yeah. yes, you can ignore it yeah. and go a different route, but you can also be like, but I already have a lead on three, and the two meeples can get taken away from you if somebody yeah. else builds a bigger uh, green yeah. area. So it's just another decision of. Mm-hmm. I should probably add a green here just to solidify this and hold yeah. this, right? Because yeah. I, 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 I'm losing a point, losing two points if yeah. I don't keep it. So I, I feel like that's kind of like, you're right, you could ignore it, then you could just go for completing rows and starting new things. And that's what I think is good about the game, mm-hmm. is you can try to go all like majority control and see how that works for you. And I think it's a game that could be explored more than than most of these types of games yeah. because of that those scoring. Yeah, reasons. there's a really high ceiling strategy where you make a bunch of smaller sections, get maximum meeples, later join them together for majorities and feel like a genius. 
Yeah, you went you went the the, the route of um, of the entrance, right? So you're yeah. getting points every time you completed a a row. A row. You played the Tetris game. Yeah. And now you're not worried because if you if it if it hits your other blocks, this entrance thing, if it goes down and hits your other blocks, it goes away. Now you can't score that thing yeah. ever. Yeah. So it's pretty bad to let that thing drop down. Although Matt let it drop. Well, you can in the bank, third round. In the third you can round, bank yeah. them round one two, then the third one to say, you know what, I'm just going to go for. Yes, the you can bank your points that you get, and yeah. now those are yeah. safe. I th- see. I, the more we talk about it, the more I think it's interesting too, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I watched everybody's. Like, almost every player played a different game. Yeah. Because Justine went entrance heavy, and another player we were playing with went majority heavy, sort of, and then kind of abandoned that. Matt went mainly majority heavy, right? Yeah. And then you ditched your your My board was ugly at the end. It's weird in a Tetris game to have so many holes in it. Yeah, Yeah, but it didn't affect you. Mm -hmm. But Justine won. I won. You won. Justine was close, right? Yeah, I was close. I think I was a point or two behind. And I think that's interesting in this game is most Tetris games, like Bricks, for example, a lot of um, Rosenberg's polyomino games, your goal is to fill in as much space as possible. And that's like the goal. That's what you're doing. And in this game, I think it's interesting that someone can win who has a whole bunch of holes on their board just through the majorities. And you you won by majority, right? Do you think that pushed you over the edge? Was was having the majorities? Yes, I had two majorities, and yeah, that definitely pushed me over the edge. So if you didn't have the four points, points, yeah, yeah, okay, I would have been in third place. So see, those are important. Like two points, two points in the low scoring game is pretty important. Yeah, and I think part of it is part of my reaction is I kind of want these games to be a little bit more Tetrisy, and so when you have that kind of thing there, I mean, that does detract from my visceral enjoyment of the game. I mean, I think that's a psychological thing, kind of thing there. Yeah, I mean, it does have the Tetris feel. You have to, I mean, you have to connect pieces together. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you still have but to the, think about how everything's coming together, like Tetris. But um, I think that's also one of the reasons why I liked it is because I have these games where it's just like Tetris. I want mm-hmm. something a little different. And I, I think the other thing is when this game, the pieces that are coming to your turn there are being set up by the player before you. So you'll take items off the thing there, and your other player, there'll be a row of three, and the other person will set you up. So uh, we'll choose which ones get refilled. And I felt with this game is that the player to your right is always looking for the pieces you don't want. Of course. Whereas yeah. I felt like in these other ones where it's just a little more random. And like the game like Bricks, everyone's sort of dealing with the same ones. Like this one where it's like, I'm never going to get a piece... That I'm never going to have the opportunity to get a piece that fits in perfectly because there's no way my opponent is going to have to do that for this issue. And then uh, for that kind of issue, and I felt like that was, I didn't quite like that issue. The other thing is this one, you can only spin it in one direction, whereas Tetris, you can kind of flip it one way, flip it the other way in most games like this one. So a lot of times it would be like, this game would be perfect if I could shift it this way, but I can't because I can only shift it up to two ways. And so this game has, this piece is going to have to come down this way if I choose this piece. Um, yes, I like how the game separates the defense in, from the offense. So you're not saying, oh, I'm going to sacrifice something on my board to hurt my player to my left. Mm-hmm. Your turn is over, and you have nothing to do but hate draft the person to your left. Right. Unfortunately, there's one circumstance where you don't get to do that, and the person to your left gets lucky. It's when you get lucky. If for whatever reason you want to drop all three tiles on the display, then you don't get to hate draft 
um, your opponent. You can't rotate. You can't rotate. So you just have to put them on. Yeah, as you is. just put yeah. them on as yeah. is, and it's usually pretty good for the person to your left. So you can get the. When do you get the perfect tile? When the person to your right gets lucky, and it kind of maybe cascades down mm-hmm. until it stops, and somebody has an unlucky hot potato situation. Mm-hmm. But also what I feel like they were doing with that is like in these types of games, it's very solo, no player interaction. This adds in player interaction. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. yeah. How does, because we play this game, me and Brandon, in four player games. I think you two are the only one to play it uh, with the two players. How does mm-hmm. it play as two player, or as a two player game? Um, I think it's a really good two player game. It's quick, it's snappy. Um, yeah. It's kind of zero sum-y with the defense you play. You play defense you're right each back other. each other. Yeah, each so other. you're just like shooting each other. And, and for new listeners, yeah. Matt and Justine are married to each other, so they typically play a lot of two-player yeah. games mm-hmm. at their house. Uh, how many guys did you guys play with two players? Uh, maybe three. Three or four, yeah. Oh, cool. It's really okay. easy to do it at the end of the night. You know, when yeah. you come home from board games, play it really quickly. They go super fast. Yeah, um, and in a two-player game, you take out a card that has one of each shape. Okay. Um, so it goes a little bit faster. Oh, that's the other thing we should say oh, about that's the timer. It has yeah. a deck of cards with the shape there, and it has an, like an equal distribution of the cards. And that's the timer of the game. Once that's that the runs time. out, then then the game's right. over. Uh, well, you have different rounds. So yeah, or so that's thing a round runs out. One round, round, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right, right there. So it gets an endorsement for the two players. What we, is it like a twenty minute game, thirty minute game with two thirty people? minutes? Yeah, I'd say thirty minutes. Yeah, twenty five. Set up right down. That's pretty good. Maybe forty with four players, right? Yeah. Um, well, off the top of my head, the only game I can really think that has the same mechanic uh, is Bricks. That was the Roll Right game by uh, podcast favorite Wolfgang Varsh. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, I really like Bricks a lot better. I felt like Bricks, the way the mechanics fit together, I liked it a little bit more. I like that everyone's having there. I like the way it mitigates the chance of having you take victory points away to either just say, hey, I don't want this thing or move things around. I like Bricks a lot better than this game. It's probably a little bit, I mean, of course it'd be personal preference, but it's a little more psychological preference where it fits more into the Tetris aesthetic. It is Tetris is, the role, right? Bricks is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I know Bricks was well received by this game, so I mean, I, how do you think this game compares to not just Bricks, but other games in this genre? For me, it's, it's different enough to where I could like both of them kind of equally. Like, mm-hmm. if I feel like I want a roll and write type game, I could play Bricks. If I feel like I want a more mm-hmm. board gamey feel, then I'm going to play REL. Mm-hmm. But if you were to ask me right now, like, let's play Bricks or REL, I'd play REL. See, me I'm too. exactly the opposite. REL just reminded me of Bricks, and it's just, I could just like Bricks better, the mechanics of this one. Matt, you're a big Bricks super fan, right? I am a big Bricks super fan, and to me, they're kind of apples and oranges, even though they're both so Tetris-y. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to recuse myself. Like, I can't decide. <laughs> I feel like it's the same way. They feel different enough to me. Yeah. They feel so different because, I mean, Bricks, like Brandon said, is Tetris the Rollin' Right. You're playing Tetris. Um, This, it's such a different game. I mean, like in Tetris, Mm -hmm. you're not trying to put the same colored blocks together. You're doing a different thing. I'd be curious to know how you felt about it, playing it a second time, knowing what you're getting into. Because I feel like maybe if you set yourself up thinking you're playing Tetris. true. And that's the thing you should mention. I think me and both Brandon just... I just played Ariel once. I just played it once as well. And I think Matt and Justina played it... How many times with multiple people? Twice or just me and... Yeah, maybe two others. So maybe five times. We're getting up towards it. Yeah, maybe even ten. And that's unfortunate. I wish I had more time to play board games, but I feel like that's a lot of things in the hobby. It's like you're basing these assessments off of one or two or three plays, and sometimes you need that extra time to have a game kind of reveal itself, the depth. Uh, for that one. So what Jacob's saying is marry a board gamer. <laughs> <laughs> so that's 
one, two, three thumbs up, one thumbs down. Yeah. 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 Oh, we just figured out how we're going to review yeah, games. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. There we go. I think you so are two thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think thumbs up, thumbs down. Don't make it complicated. Random question time. <laughs> like a game show. <laughs> I know. What's the order? Do, do, do. Um, so yeah, first random question is just board game origin stories. So we're born, we're thrown into this world, and probably during our childhood we played Monopoly, Scrabble, Risk, mm-hmm. Uno, mm-hmm. and then at some point by by fate or by divine intervention, we got involved in this hobby named board game where we're spending hundreds of dollars on these obscure games, and we know the name of board game designers. Like, how crazy is that? In so the question this week is: What happened? How did this happen to us? Um, oh, we get so addicted. I mean, when I was living, I grew up in California and in the Bay Area, and uh, I, I feel like I always was interested in nerd stuff. And uh, I felt like there's this. This was in the early 2000s. I used to have to drive in this board game shop out in the middle of nowhere. And this is when I first. I have an old copy of Puerto Rico. Um, house, uh, uh, the Betrayal and House on the Hill, and, uh, and, uh, and, um, Settlers of Catan from this early period back when there really was an explosion of board games. And I played those ones, and then I moved around a little bit there, and I couldn't find board gamers. People would just look at you like you're crazy. And I played mm-hmm. some RPGs and stuff, and there just wasn't a thing. And then eventually, I kind of just, I moved back to Utah, and there were some people who were really into it. And I was actually really glad that I met the right people, people who really played like Euro game Euros. Because you can play, go to board game groups and play with board game groups, but not have the kind of people who will know board game designers and will know like right. yeah. Euro games and play like those ones like that one. And then from there, I mean, I was just kind of hooked uh, for that issue. That's like part of, that's like part of the hobby to me is like geeking out about the hobby, right? Yeah. I mean, that's why we have this podcast, right? So we yeah. could like give it, we have an opportunity to just geek out. Yeah. yeah, and like, yeah. If you find the wrong group where they're like they're just like playing games, I don't know who that designer is. I don't know the publisher. I don't know about yeah. these games. Like, yeah. I just want to play. It's fine because that's part of the hobby too. Obviously, it's a big part of the hobby is actually playing the games. But to find a group that you can talk to about games, get excited yeah. about about designers, like that's that is really. And there's part a difference between like playing board games and like board gamers, board games. Just like sometimes you appeal people and they just sort of know they've played enough games and they've played complex enough games that they just sort of have like an eye for mechanics. And you can sort of get that once. For like Euro games, which are mechanically complicated games. And so, yeah, yeah, I grew up playing board games. I, I, I remember being very drawn to board games. And of course, I didn't know that those were bad board games at the time. I yeah. was a kid. And I remember all my other friends didn't want to play. So the only time I got to play board games when I was a kid is like rainy days. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that that, if I were to grow up and never play a board game again, that's how I'd still view board games. It's like they're like rainy day type situations Mm -hmm. so that's why we get weird looks when we're like we're board gamers they're like it's not we're not in seattle you know (laughs) it doesn't rain that much um so i feel like that those that was the seed that was planted like we we are those kids that liked those those games right when we were kids and we like found each other um when i was in my teens like I was in a punk rock band and i had a lot of friends and we had a big nightlife but we also played uno for some yeah. reason mm-hmm. we were just like loved uno we played uno i feel like that was like the seed starting to like like uh. sprout um and then in my 20s 
early 20s, I played Risk. I thought that was like the best game that I had encountered so far. <laughs> we just played Risk like every night for like six months. Um, I moved to Salt Lake. I'm from originally from California. And I worked at a bar and kind of got into that scene. And then I got out of it and I found myself with like no friends, right? Mm-hmm. And so I played D&D with some, with some people I worked at at a coffee shop, which later on became good friends of mine, which was kind of cool because as we were like getting to know e- each other's characters, we were getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. And dur- in between games, um, one of the, his name is Nick, one of the guys, Nick, would, would bring in these like small games like Bang mm-hmm. to the table and like we'd play those. I bought Betrayal and, and played that with them. Lindsay and I, my fiance and I, were, were reading uh, DC's New 52. It's like a line of their of comic books where they uh-huh. kind of like they rehashed all the stories of, a, of 52 characters, but it ended up being way more than 52 characters. Um, we were really like that was what we were doing. We were reading uh-huh. those comic books. We were going to comic book stores and getting those those trades. And they released a game called DC Deck Building, which was based on the art from New 52. So we were like, whoa, we got to get that game, right? Because yeah. this was in the middle of D&D and playing these other smaller mm-hmm. games. So we that... went to the board game store to buy it. And we went to the board game store and was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, there's so many games. This is insane. Yeah. We were only playing DC Deck Building for, for a while. And DC Deck Building is almost a living card game. Almost. You can almost date that story because there was like a period of like a couple of years when there were so many deck builders yeah. and they would take any intellectual property and make yep. it into a deck mm-hmm. builder for that yeah. issue. Yeah. We were buying all the expansions. Like there's all these little small box expansions and bigger expansions and the base game you could mix in with the other base games. So we bought everything and we're playing it and thought it was the best game in the world. I started looking into other deck building games, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, because there was a ton of them. And I was like, I think I love deck building games, right? So we bought the Marvel one, and we bought some other smaller deck building games, and then I bought Clank. And Clank introduced the board, right, mm-hmm. to deck building. And that made me go, if they've innovated card games this way, into such an awesome way, what have they done to actual just regular board games? And that made me look into, like, I played Zombicide, it was just like, at the time, it was like, oh, this is like a video game. Mm-hmm. on a board then we played Arcadia Quest and I felt the same way about it and then I realized that like worker placement in Euro games were what I was like thinking when I was like mm-hmm. what how, how have they evolved just regular board games and so we started playing those we actually came into the board game shop asked about them and then played with the person we were asking about it with and then we started coming to the board game store and playing games and now to this day like deck building is like one of my least favorite mechanics (laughs) right it's crazy yeah well it's got to evolve and i feel like we've played some really good quest for el dorado uh yeah no there's great ones that i like and i still like clank actually but those old marketplace ones there are like dominions it's like you got to get me a little Mm -hmm. more i feel like that one Uh uh-huh if i started with dominion though and worked my way up dominion would have been a great game yeah yeah but but because I like went I went back to Dominion because I was like I want to see the first deck building yeah. game after I played a bunch of deck building games and I went oh this isn't this isn't my favorite. Um, okay, so my intro to board games is a little bit different. I grew up as an only child, um, so it was just me and my mom, and um, we used to play uh, Phase Ten. 
mm-hmm. which is a pretty common card game, and um, another game called Racco, which is, looking back on it, really dumb. <laughs> um, but so my mom and myself and my grandparents, like that was my board game group. And um, when I got into high school, my mom was looking for more ways to kind of connect with me because, you know, the teenager phase of Mm -hmm. um, I know everything. I'm too cool for hanging out with my mom. And so we went to a board game shop and asked about good two-player games. And they showed us Carcassonne. Um, And so we ended up buying Carcassonne and playing that a couple of times. But, of course, um, we just kind of drifted apart. So um, I played Carcassonne a couple of times. It was good. I liked it. But I just had other stuff to do. And then um, the group of friends I was hanging out with, uh, we started to play Settlers of Catan. And this was so long ago, I can't even remember what started Settlers of Catan. You were part of that group, Matt, right? Um, I maybe don't remember either. No, my brother gave it to me for my birthday. Oh, okay. Yeah, we just kind of, like, started playing Settlers, as far as I can remember. And then from there, we started to realize, like, oh, the dice rolls are really random. Um, I mean, it's a good game. It's better than Monopoly. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's still a lot of randomness, a lot of dice rolls. Did you guys obsessively play Catan, like, dozens of times? I think so. I've known people who've done that. Yeah. And then we graduated to um, Agricola, and then one of the people in the group bought Arkham Horror, and we played that one pretty constantly. Mm-hmm. We played Arkham Horror, and um, I remember it, it would got... would be the second edition at that point? Or well, I think first? it was still the first. First wow. edition, That right? was in the era of Fantasy Flight putting out, like, complicated rules that were just complicated because the rules were written so badly, and, like, all the <laughs> mechanics were just, like, a, just a jumble of puzzle pieces that they're not still drop on the floor. <laughs> oh, that, that era. Yeah. That game is complicated because it's a complicated game. Um, but we kind of all got to the point where we'd played that enough that we wanted to do other stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we started, like, making, like, we did a bingo version of Arkham Horror where we all had, like, a bingo sheet that we set up as we were playing Arkham Horror, you know. <laughs> Privately trying to, you know, encounter a jazz player on a street who hangs yeah. with, you know. Oh, so you just play the game, off. but it's just, like, you have a side quest. You were you involved in that game? Yes. Yeah. Fake bingo game. That's how we, we got together, was through board games. games. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um... I, unlike you guys, I kind of had a hunch that all these games were bad. <laughs> Playing Monopoly and Risk and Settlers. I was always trying to take the luck out of them. We would try and throw darts for Risk instead of rolling dice. We would try and, like, preset what the rolls were going to be in Monopoly. Well, you did something for Yahtzee, kind too, of you were telling me about. You are doing something for Yahtzee, right? Where, like, they're community dice? Yeah, right away you want to make those community dice. Now, that was as designed. That was called Yahtzee Challenge or whatever. It was oh. the serious part of the Game Night games. <laughs> how, do you, how, do you, how do you figure out who rolls? Everybody has your own private set of five dice, right? And then, you know, the active player rolls five dice, and you simultaneously pick three of them by just setting three of your dice. Oh. Or four. You know, you can keep as many as you want. Oh, so you just go about the initial dice roll, mm-hmm. and then you... And naturally, mm-hmm. deviation is going to occur. Okay. And then, you know, butterfly effects out from there. Yeah. That was pretty decent. Um, but I, I just always uh, wanted there to be more serious games. Uh, finally, you know, Agricola comes out, and I just can't imagine any game being better than that. 
uh, Puerto Rico comes out, and then we could finally start doing things like having like board game showdowns where we take all these like what we thought were like just skillful mind games and have like an Olympics, you know, with like Agricola, Puerto Rico, and like citadels, you know. <laughs> there were still only, you know, finally are like five games on the shelf that weren't awful. Um, and then I don't know. It just kind of exploded, and now I can't imagine that all these people have all these walls of games, and that they're like games that you can play and be like, I really like that. I might play it three times a year because <laughs> yeah. you know we have to cycle through like a hundred of them. Yeah. If any random game off the shelf down there were invented in 1999, I would have played it 55 times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's. I mean, I think we need to really like. Well, if we find ourselves getting too judgmental on games, we have to think, we have to rewind a bit and go, mm -hmm. games are still evolving. They're better yeah. and better, and we need to appreciate what we have because we didn't have them before. Yeah. I feel like that's the same way with like superhero movies, too. Like mm -hmm. People complain about superhero movies, but you go, remember Fantastic Four, the original one? <laughs> remember Daredevil? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. We're, they're Electra. getting really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's also, I think, like the board games, it starts at like, a social activity and like working as like a board game is also kind of like a way to focus like to I don't know a game is like an interesting thing is it's like you put your brain like normally like a activity you're not really doing anything like it lets you kind of engage I guess no it's a good point any other hobby like video gaming or lets you be competitive in a way, it's there's no work involved you buy yeah. a video game and I like video games I'm not yeah. this isn't a knock against video games you buy it and you and the game teaches you as you play Board games, you you have to work for it. You have to mm. you have to punch everything out. You have to read the rules. You have to understand the rules. You have to teach yourself how to teach the particular game. Mm -hmm. Then you have to get the group together, convince them to play it, teach the game, and then you're now strategizing in the game. Mm -hmm. It's all you're working your mind out all the time, and that's why I think it's still a niche hobby. Besides the fact that people don't realize how what board games are now today. Yeah. And once they realize it, they go, it's kind of a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like it's like akin to having like a physical fitness hobby. Like if your hobby is like playing basketball, it'll kind of get you in shape. Like it mm -hmm. does work out your brain. It does. And you mm -hmm. see it in your everyday life. Yeah. You could figure things out a little easier. Yeah. You think a little bit more clearer. And I think if, like I play racquetball on Sundays uh -huh. and then I play board games three to four times a week. Uh -huh. Like I feel like that's perfect for my mental health yeah. and my physical health is getting both the brain exercise and the physical exercise. I think if you include board games into your exercise hobby, you're going to live forever. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. What was your random question this week, Brandon? My random question is, if you can combine any two games together to become one, what would it be? Um, mine would be Through the Ages and Lignum. I know it sounds okay. like a weird pairing, Ooh. but because Through the Ages, when I heard about Through the Ages, and it's like, civilization building that's just like kind of the theme mm -hmm. of it uh -huh. really it's a card drafting game like yeah. really that it's card drafting engine building I wanted a little bit more to it I would like in the middle of the board to be some kind of like timing track where to build the structures you're not just spending things you're actually like gaining yeah. gaining wood and different elements and I mean, gosh, would that be a crazy complex game? <laughs> but, if, <laughs> but if you could combine the two and then somehow figure out a way to streamline it to working, I, w I want, I want, basically, I want through the ages to feel more like you're building things 
rather than just like collecting resources and dumping them, collecting resources and dumping them and figuring out a way. I think Through the Ages is a great game. I think Lignum's a great game, but I wanted something a little bit more. Not more, because there's a lot to Through the Ages, but like take away some of the time and add in a mechanism where you're actually like building things and you and you could visibly see like people and villages and, and such mm-hmm. rather than just like cubes. Um, I was going to say, I think that's one of the reasons why we like the app so much is that you actually get to see like, oh, yeah. look, you get, you have three little farms and three little mines. Mm-hmm. And then when you build another one, now you have four. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Um, mine, I had the hardest time coming up with like a specific game. Um, but I just kept going back to um, another game that's one of my favorite games that I rarely get to play because it's so light on theme, and that's Newton by uh, Simone Luciani. Mm-hmm. And I love that game. I think the theme, like the it, the theme, is you're like a scientist in the golden age, in the Enlightenment, and you're um, you're finding all these scientific discoveries. But they just kind of, it seems like they kind of pasted that theme on. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And so if I were going to combine two games, I'd want to take, like, the theme of Newton and a lot of the mechanics of Newton, because I really like the mechanics, mm-hmm. but I'd want it pasted onto a game where there's a ton of theme to it. So I was thinking of something like Vital Lacerda, mm-hmm. who does, his games are, like, big and bulky and heavy, but the theme is so integrated into the mechanics. Um, so like if Lisboa had the Newton theme on it. Yeah, something like that. Not necessarily the mechanics of Lisboa, but a way to make that a really thematic yeah. feeling. So game. you're doing like trigonometry in it. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that when trigonometry was invented? Was Calculus, to, yeah. Was, it was calculus. Calculus, yeah. yeah. Yes, it's calculus. Mm-hmm. Newton invented calculus, right? Yeah, Newton and Leibniz. And Leibniz. Yeah. Leibniz Don't forget Leibniz. Time. I mean, there's a big dispute. Newton sounds like kind of a jerk, but. <laughs> uh. um, I actually, it's funny enough. I actually like to do this. I like to take a game that's like has good mechanisms but is devoid of theme, and a game game that has good theme but has iffy mechanisms, and actually like play around combining them for lulls. Like Trajan and Takenoko, you know, like what if in Takenoko you had to move a rondelle to choose whether you move the panda or the farmer? I don't know, it's something I just like to do for fun. Um, but I like, uh, I would combine some kind of like Reiner Knizia auction game mm. with something like King Domino or something, which, you know, games, lighter games that you feel like had promise and almost could be Eurofied. And then maybe, you know, some just insert. If Reiner Knizia was were designing this, how would it go? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. cool. Like auction off for yeah. for the tiles and uh, I mean, you it's a not an auction, it's a drafting, right? In King Domino, but if you were to auction for the tiles with some kind of resource that you also need in the game, that would be interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I thought about this one, a lot of Euro games, what they do in design is they'll take different mechanics and sort of marry them together. So the same game with an auction, a rondelle, a garden path, and things like that. And that's a lot of the way Euros has kind of progressed and things like that, where you have a deck building aspect, like when Lewis and Clark, but within a worker place, things like that. What I think there, 
And the thing I, I don't see, I've never seen incorporated inside just a standard Euro with that, is this the kind of elements we see in a game like in Skull or Texas Hold'em, where it involves that kind of deduction based on other players and the mechanics. And uh, I would like to see a sort of Marion theme of more mechanics with these sort of lighter sort of social deduction and being like, I could figure out what this one's. And there is a kind of thing like in poker where above and beyond what they're expressing with their face and their mouth or anything like that, they're even if they're playing online, people are giving clues just with the information they have there. And if you have a game where you can do deduction and kind of bluffing with that and you can combine that, I think it'd be hard because in those kind of games, it's hard to separate things that involve like deduction and bluffing. That's which is pure randomness in games. Um, and so that'd be a little, that'd be a little hard, I think, in that one. Um, but I, I'd like to see board games moving more in that direction. Oh, we played a fun poker variant on our Dealer's Choice night where toward the end of the night, we just try and make up crazy things where we combine between two cities and poker. Uh-huh. So you put some cards to your left, put some cards to your right. Uh-huh. And then so you're all playing, you know, the two hands that are in between two people. Uh-huh. And the two winners of the hand are the two people who order it. Uh-huh. Hmm. So it exists, Jacob. We'll play it sometime. <laughs> well, speaking of randomness, what was your random question, Justine? Um, mine was, um, how much luck do you tolerate? Because we've been talking a lot about like our intro to board games, and it seems like a lot of our intros are things like Phase 10, which is the luck of the draw, um, Monopoly, which is the roll and, write, or roll and move, um, all of that stuff. So as we move beyond those games, one of the things that we kind of tend to look for is less and less luck. So Agricola is perfect information. But we still like games with luck in them. And how much luck do you tolerate in a game? I have an exact answer. I want it to be 70% skill and 30% luck. That's the optimum recipe for fun. (laughs) No, just kidding. I actually want to push back. There actually kind of is no such thing as luck. You can kind of look at your decisions and say, oh, did I make the right decision no matter what card came off the top of the deck, no matter, you know, what dice was rolled. A lot of times when you're playing Euros, you're calculating, oh, this will give me 5 out of 16 chances, and this will give me 7 out of 16 chances. So you do the thing that gives you 7 out of 16 chances, Mm -hmm. and then whatever the luck is is what the luck is, but just be comforted that in 7 out of 16 universes, (laughs) you're the champion. Uh, My answer about this, it's not so much the luck in the game, it's how invested I feel and how much the the random luck dials sort of disenfranchise me from the game. So a lot of times if you're playing a game, a lot of times you find the Ameritrash game, you'll do a thing where you can add something to the dice, like you have to beat a monster and you roll a d6 and it'll be like you have to roll a three or higher but you can add a plus, you you can add resources to this one. And you say, well it doesn't make sense for me to add all of my resources to the die. Uh, because I'm just paying a lot of money to do that. I, I know this came up in a game I played there. So I'm going to add two, and then I'm overwhelmingly likely to do it, but I still haven't overpaid for this one. And then you can just have this bad roll, and it just feels like you just got messed up. I mean, it didn't really matter your planning, and it kind of disenfranchising for that game. Um, but, I mean, it just depends on the game um, for that issue. And, of course, I think the best heroes like Castle and Burgundy will have a randomness in your actions to kind of make it so... You know, you can't just kind of divide. And that's going to about scared. like what Matt said, right? And yeah, with, I yeah. think Matt's for, for more Euro games. Um, so, yeah, like I think uh, if it's going to be part of a more thinky design, I want the randomness to be something I have to adapt to and then something I feel like I'm, I'm sort of wearing and not something that's just going to sandbag me and just be like, well, I did everything right, but it's just kind of going to just kind of randomly uh-huh. uh, hamstrung me or something like that. There's sort of 
Um, but a lot of times, if it's just in a fun game, I think like a lot of the randomness can sort of. So my answer is very similar to yours. I have a spectrum, right? So if it's like a press your luck game, mm -hmm. then obviously there's going to be a lot of luck in that yeah. game, and that's fine. But if we go all the way up the spectrum to a, an abstract game, I want zero luck in that game, typically. Mm -hmm. I want perfect information in that game. In a Euro game, I want it like, you know, like 70% strategy, 30% luck. Um, but I want the luck to be able to be mitigated somehow. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to be able to, like, like in, um, in castles, you could spend workers to to mess yeah. with the pips of the dice right like that's 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 basically it for me it's a spectrum if it's fun stupid game yeah. i don't mind the luck in it if it's a heavy serious game i don't want a lot of luck in it but again you have to like think about like what is the luck is it dice chucking because in a big heavy strategy game i don't want like dice yeah. resolution i don't want to roll dice to see if i if i've if i've if I've got it or not. Like almost ever. Yeah. Almost yeah. ever. There's like eight, seven, eight Vikings, which I like. Mm -hmm. But again, like it's the nature of the game. It's kind of like, um, like fog of war style, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. happening there with the dice rolls. So I don't mind it so much in that. But if like, if I was playing Lorenzo of Magnifico, which has dice, but it's mm -hmm. for everyone. So everybody's yeah. kind of in the same boat. Um, and I could and I could spend servants to mitigate the, the pips and the dice. But if that was like if I was rolling dice to decide if I could even place my worker there for just me, I oh. think that would be really <laughs> awful, right? Mm -hmm. So like, like it, it depends on the game. If it's really if I'm working really hard strategically and using mm -hmm. my brain, and then I roll dice or flip a card, and it's like nope, then yeah. that's like really bad. There's actually this study done where. They monitored people's brains, and they had a group of people say, "If you press, you if you press, there's two choices. You press this button or this button. Yeah. Um, and if you press the right button, you get what's in the package, right? Okay. And and it's a good thing. And so they they got to choose which one to press. And then the other people were like." It, the computer's randomly going to pick the button and you either like win or lose, basically. Mm -hmm. they, they read that the people that were, they were able to choose, it triggered the pleasure uh, system in their brain. So like the, the whole like process of, of figuring out which one, the risk-reward mm -hmm. system, mm -hmm. you know, like is better than just like randomly things happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good comparison to like something like Monopoly where you're just the game's playing for you or a slot machine where the game's just playing for you just seeing what happens yeah it's not as rewarding as you choose what happens even if it's bad the process of choosing yeah and figuring out w what's going to happen is better so i think if a game has luck in it but you have a little bit of control of that luck yeah mm -hmm. I, um for me, I think my answer is very similar to your guys' answer. First of all, it de really depends on the weight. So if it's a game, it, the weight and the length of the game. The mm -hmm. length is a big thing. So if it's going to be like a six-hour game, I don't want a lot of luck in it. Yeah. Because you're going to invest four hours or so into a game, and then all of a sudden you're going to roll the dice, and you're just going to lose at that four-hour mark. And you've still got two hours to go. Um, and the weight... I've, it's a heavy game. I really want very little luck. Um, and then, kind of like Jacob was saying, is this luck going to just completely mess up my game? If I roll the wrong thing, if I draw the wrong card, is that it for me? 
is my game over? Um, and then finally, for me, it's also how many sources of randomness do you have? So I'm going to enjoy a game a lot more if there's like either dice rolls or card draws. If you've got your drawing cards, your rolling dice, your um, placing random things out on the board, I'm not going to enjoy that as much. And you're playing Oracle of Delphi. <laughs> yeah, um, Oracle of Delphi, yeah. But, I mean, that to me is kind of a, almost in that lighter mm-hmm. game. I mean, it's a heavy game, but it's light no, enough right, that you right. can have fun with the randomness. The of randomness it. in Oracle of Delphi makes me not love Oracle Delphi, but the interesting systems in the interlocutions mm-hmm. make me like Oracle Delphi. It makes me engage in the system. So it's a weird kind of contradiction with that one. Yeah, some That's interesting because some, some games break these rules that we just set for ourselves, right? Yeah. yeah. We could say, I don't. I want perfect information in this type of game, and this, and then a, a game's introduced to you, and you go, oh, this this goes against yeah. everything that I that I like, but I like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How much randomness do we accept in our questions? Matt, how random is your question? It's pretty <laughs> random. I was hungry last week, and I thought, food, board games. <laughs> um, uh, but that's true. Okay, so we play usually for like 12 hours on a Saturday. I don't know about you guys, but I usually don't notice I'm hungry until my belly is just like hurting because I get just like so focused on the game. About to pass out and you're like, oh, maybe I should eat. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. But most people do have to take a food break and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to talk about food and board gaming and how do you handle it. Uh, but mostly I wanted to share two rules with food at the table that I would like everyone to implement. Okay, so you're eating Cheetos, right? You're eating Cheetos with your left hand and you're not supposed to touch any components until you wash your hands, right? So always have a food hand and a moving pieces hand yeah. and don't ever switch them. That's rule number one. Mm-hmm. And then no- rule number two is keep drinks under the table or ooh, with lids on them or maybe have a something or other because I've spilled drinks on two games in my life and it's like really sad and like the cardboard never warps the same. You almost want to buy a new coffee. Mm-hmm. I've had two experiences with spills. One... One person and it was a it was a noob spilled water on Orleans and luckily mm-hmm. it dried and was fine. Yeah. Surprisingly, and your first initial thing is like blow up on the person, <laughs> right? But you're like, no, <laughs> you know that's not yeah. the right way to handle it because he, he the person feels bad. Yeah. Um, but then it made me realize I never want to be that person. But I was that person, and it wasn't even my drink. It was like a drink that was in front of a person, and I went to reach and hit the drink, <gasps> and it oh. and it spilled. So I absolutely agree. Lids on the floor or on a different table. Mm-hmm. And I just had this experience where I was I was drinking a soda, and it was in front of me, and I'm very aware of it. But I go, I'm going to put it underneath the table. Yeah, yeah. I agree with those rules. What's the question? There wasn't one. It was a topic. Food for you. Yeah. I feel like I'm most qualified to answer this because I'm the only one who packs a lunch. I've noticed. Which is smart. Yeah, you have smart, so you're not eating foods. the same yeah. place Here's the time. thing. If you're at, because a lot of people play board games, I'd say, like, at board game stores. And basically, what you don't want to eat at board games is basically everything you sell at a board game <laughs> shop. It's, like, either candy or it's basically, like, simple carbs, I feel like. Um, and I feel like a lot of that stuff... Oh, you don't want to eat for health purposes. Well, yeah, for thinking purposes. I mean, well, a lot of times what you eat determines how you feel. Like, a lot yeah. of that, like, simple card rice is just very simple card rice. And also really, really high fat content and stuff like that. And it, I feel like you just you eat a lot of this carbs and you just feel kind of crappy, I guess. And mm-hmm. they're not really filling for these issues. Um, so I would just say 
eat like fruits and vegetables are good. You want something that's filling. You want like slow carbs. I also feel like just like lean protein is just always a good thing to eat. I feel like a lot of times I'll bring. The other night we were playing and Matt was just eating raw broccoli and was it kale too or? Oh yeah, that's the poker player in me. Every once in a while I'm good and I just you know yeah I just eat raw broccoli, raw kale. You feel really sharp. That was impressive. <laughs> I was impressed yeah. to hear you say I like I won all I my games remember, that night. Oh yeah, because I feel like there's something about boring games that makes me hungry. It's almost like my brain wants like carbohydrates, f- fuel, or maybe it's just like psychologically driven me that I just kind of want to eat all the time. Or maybe you don't notice time passing. <clears throat> time passes That's a lot me. quicker, and yeah. then you don't realize, like, when was the last time I ate? Could be. Yeah. For me, it's, like, sandwiches, even though, like, yeah. there's a sandwich place by the shop I won't name, because they're not bad, but, gosh, you eat it so much, and you just hate it, but, the title like, has sandwiches two for me are just so two quick. first names, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it had, like, I just get veggie sandwiches. I don't eat meat, so I just, like, like, that's still a bunch of veggies. When I'm eating, I have a lot of the same rules as anything liquid, anything that's going to spill had better be either on the floor or on a side table. Um, But I always feel really awkward when I'm playing with people who don't have that same idea. How do you tell them, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Like, I don't want to be the one that's like, um, I need you to put your drink on the floor. They might be like, chill out. I'm not a spaz. (laughs) But at the same time, I'm, I'm always sitting there like hyper aware of their drink. Like ready to pounce. That's tough. Like you're, you're you're playing with adults, but then you want to you want to talk you want to like yeah. tell them something that you would tell a child. Yeah. You know what yeah. they used to have when I used to ride the bus in Eugene, Oregon? Is uh, I used to have to ride a bus all the time there, and like they have different rules. Like you can't put your feet up on things there, and you would see the driver like look at you through the, the rear mirror, and then he'd just go and press a button on his thing, and like ding dong, passengers are not allowed to put their feet up. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, you can have that like that like oh. Please place all food and drink on the floor. So we can have a passive aggressive button, basically. Yeah. yeah. So oh, it like, could be like a guy. whole soundboard. Boop, like, boop. please yeah. hold your questions until he's done explaining this part of the rules. Plan your, <laughs> you should plan if your it turn could be, other people's. Yeah. Please think on other people's. It'd be turns. way better if it was automated because you could see the person pressing the button. Or <laughs> <Yes. laughs> well, you could see that. You could you. definitely just see the guy like, like, yeah. like all right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my big thing is like, how do you handle that? Or like people again, who don't have the same understanding because for a lot of people, these are games. And I mean, Matt and I kind of have that opinion is that these are games that we buy and that we're going to play and they're not going to stay in perfect condition yeah, their whole be life. Tear, it's okay. But I do want them to stay in as good a condition as possible. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, these are games. And I think a lot of people don't understand how much they cost. Yeah. Like replacing a copy of Orléans, for example, or especially some of the games that are out of print, like Russian Railroads. Yeah, like that's if a we got thing. Russian Railroad, if something spilled on our copy of Russian Railroads, like it's that's un- it. It's, it's irreplaceable. Uh, yeah. Unless you make the person pay like 200 bucks, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> and He's probably so, like, oh, 20 bucks. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be the person that's like, um, I need you to wash your hands before you touch my game. But at the same time, like, I want my games to be yeah. able to be played. Sure. For a long time. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. We are now to our top three favorite worker placement games. Oh, right. sweet. Starting with Jacob. 
Okay, um, so first one off for this one is, and I wasn't sure to put this down, but I was like, yeah, go for this it. This is your number three? Uh, Raiders of the North Sea, um, which is more oh, of a lighter game for this that. one. And I was like, should I put that down? Because it almost feels, yes, there's a certain should. element that almost feels more whimsical yeah. um, for that horse. And but that's these, fine, right? Tag yeah. element. I was like, but you've had a lot of fun playing Raiders of the North mm-hmm. Sea. Yeah. And also when I feel about playing the game, it also feels like a game that I could take to other people, like non-board gamer board games, and they'd be like, oh, I kind of get this one. It feels like a bastard to the genre for that one. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> North, Raiders of the North Sea has an interesting mechanic where you a worker placement and you take a worker back in the same turn. And so you're, you're taking, you're yeah, taking like two, two, two actions, actions per yeah. turn. Two actions per turn. One to place down, one to pick up. It has the classic hero thing where you're trying to build your economy and then you go for victory points where you have to invade these things right there. I guess that has some expansions I haven't played. I actually don't own the game. It's one of those games where I, it's been on my halfway between two buy and no, I don't need to buy it. Mm-hmm. Those ones for a long time there. Uh, the workers but, are different colors too, so the interesting yeah. part is like when you you put down a worker, you're giving it to somebody else on the table. When you're picking up a worker, you're thinking about what color, yeah. not just what action you want to take. It feels light, um, but it also just feels interesting. I feel like for the time frame and the mental engagement, it's just fun. You have it's fun. fun. I think that's a good mm-hmm. pick. Uh, yeah, that <clears throat> almost made it to my top three. It was really close to my. It top would have three. if I would have remembered it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't own it, and I was looking at my games. We do that a lot. Yeah. We're like, oh, I wish I would have remembered that. Yeah. Um. So my number three, and I had a hard time deciding whether to put this on the list because I don't know whether you'd consider it more of a worker placement or more of an action selection game. But um, I my number three is Village. Oh yeah, I guess there's like. Worker placement There's elements. Worker to placement it. elements, but it is definitely an action selection. You're cheating sound. I want to see if everyone has the same number one game. Um I put it because I think that they what they did with the workers was really cool. It's like reverse the, worker placement. It's weird. Yeah. Because you're taking cubes mm-hmm. off. But it's like But you similar have your workers still... and you place them in places. Yeah, I think Form is function, and if you have literal meeples that are like human shaped, and you're putting them in spots, like that's worker placement. And you get points when you're working, and you're blocking, right? Yeah, you're. you're, No, actually, you're blocking by taking cubes. You're blocking. Yes. So yeah, it's semi-blocking. I don't think worker placement has to necessarily be blocking, though. I do. Yeah, you're right. I do. Maybe village isn't. No, it's fine. Oh no, I would put elements in it, but. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say it's like straight. I would say it's like inspired by worker yeah. placement. I had such a hard time with this category because there are so <laughs> many good worker placement there. games. Um, but Village, I think that what they did with the aging of your meeple of your workers, mm-hmm. and that your workers can actually die, and you kind of want them to die. You sort of want no, them to die. You actually do want them to die because you want to put them in that spots, and the spots uh-huh. are going to be the most points, really. So my number three is Agricola. And um, on the family side, this isn't Agricola Family Edition. In the old edition, you can flip it to the family side and not do the card drafting part. Mm. I'm not necessarily against the card drafting in general, but Uwe Rosenberg isn't, you know, Richard Garfield. Okay, like, I don't think he did a great job with the cards. There's not thematic tie-ins, you know, like ones Mm -hmm. like, Shepard, if you have a vegetable, it's five food, and it just seems random, and you just Mm -hmm. want to get lucky synergies. But when you flip it to the other side and don't play with the cards, Agricola turns into a very fun, pure worker placement game. Simply things are accumulating and you're just trying to decide, should I take six wood or two sheep over and over and over again? And then it's over. 
uh, who wins. It's really fun. Um, it's crazy that like Agricola was one of your first games, and it's still like on your list of favorite games. That's cool. Oh, yeah, yeah that is for sure. Twelve mm-hmm. years. Is it yeah. on your top like five games of all time? On BGG, I have it ranked as my third. Even though you know I don't want to play it so much anymore, but I don't think we should deem it. Mm-hmm. It's like legacy. What is one and two score? It's your Mystic, a great Western Trail. Okay. It's my third highest rating. You have to give that it like was... a nine point eight on BGG. If you listen to the first episode, you already know that though about Matt. Yeah, but I've forgotten yeah. that. Okay, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. It's your third of all time, and your third on worker placement. Yeah, you, you know this was a hard oh, I think list for me to make as well because it, what's funny is like it used to be one of my favorite mechanics in in games, but then I looked at my shelf and I was like, I don't have any more that many worker placement games. So the way I did my list. You're not going to find Lorenzo El Magnifico on there, which is odd, right? But the way I, I constructed my list was what worker placement games does something different with worker placement. Yeah, and that's how like, I did it too. And I mean, Lorenzo does that, but I just want to see like real weird innovations. So my third is actually Manhattan Project Energy Empire because they have the, there's not, so this is what I mean by blocking. It's not necessarily blocking where I go here. Now you can't go here. It's either blocking or making it harder. Mm-hmm. Making it more expensive. Yeah. Village does that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, like, if I put one worker on a space, then you have to put two workers. And my stack just has to be higher than yours if I'm going there. And I really like that innovation to the worker placement aspect. I think it's a good game. It's not my favorite in the series, as we talked about last week. But as far as a worker placement goes, because the other two games don't do that, right? Uh, no, there's they, no they outright block you. Yeah, yeah. there's no stacking. And that's why I picked Energy Empire for the stacking reasons. Uh, number two, um, I put a game called Automania. Uh, but you're just building cars and you're adding features to your board and things like that there. Um, so my second, and again, this might not fit um, the definition of worker placement as blocking, is Euphoria. Um Oh, I, th- I consider you for yeah. work replacement. And because you're... Go ahead, go ahead. It's the same, I'll get to yeah. when I get to my number two. It's the, the same game calls thing. them workers. It calls yeah. them workers. Then. So um, I kind of did the same thing as Brandon, where I really wanted to think about games that did something new and different with the worker placement mechanic. Um, and this one, in Euphoria, you have your dice. Your workers are dice. And every time they come back to you, you roll them. And the number of pips on the dice is how smart they are. Mm-hmm. Euphoria is set in a dystopic future. And so you want workers that are smart enough to go out and do more, um, do better things, get you more resources. But at the same time, you don't want them so smart because if they're too smart, they'll run away from your dystopia. They, they figure uh, out that it's not balance. It's that. not a euphoric yeah. environment. It's a dystopian, and they're like, "I'm out." Yeah. yeah, and so you kind of want dumb workers, but you want it, it's a really cool game, and I like the I like the management of how smart your workers are, and how the mechanism merges with the theme. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a good example of theme and mechanism merging together. Uh, my second favorite worker placement mechanism comes from Manhattan Project, Minutes to Midnight. Mm-hmm. And that's because the workers are specialized. There's spies, oh, yeah. generals, politicians, and then just like dummies and overalls. And the spies feel like spies and the politicians feel yeah. like politicians. The Russian spies feel like Russian spies even. Mm-hmm. Um, it does a great job at that. 
And I always wanted that in games for the longest time. You know, maybe you'd get your family of workers and just for flavor, you know, they put like a mom sticker on one and a dad sticker on one and then a couple of kids. But they all functioned the same. And I kind of wanted, oh, maybe the dad's better be at chopping wood, but maybe the kid's really good at baking grain into bread. And it never really blew my socks off until we got these spy workers and these politician workers in Manhattan Project and it's to midnight. Good choice. Yeah. Um, Okay, so my number two is Dice Forge. And so here's what I mean by blocking. So in Euphoria, to me, the blocking is I can go here just fine, but I give you dice Mm -hmm. to roll and now you have another turn. So the blocking isn't I can't go there. It's I don't want to help you. Yeah. And with Dice Forge, it's the same thing. So if there's there's a, a pawn on an area, I go there. And you you go back to the central spot and you get to roll um, your dice, giving you things. So the blocking is, I don't want to help you out. Mm-hmm. And Dice Forge is worker placement because you're placing your workers on these spots and getting cards. And it's that it, and it's one of these games where like you think I thought that I wouldn't like it because it's just dice chucking, dice chucking, dice chucking, getting stuff, turning in stuff for stuff. Yeah. But everyone's turn is everyone else's turn because every turn you roll the dice and you get the stuff. And then if you get kicked off a spot, you get to roll the dice again. And you're just trying to get points through various cards and, and the expansion adds a lot of good things to it. But yeah, my number two is Dice Forge. Dice Forge. Now we're going on to our number one. And I think all three of us have the same game. All, th- all three of us, Matt, Justine, and Jacob have the same game. And I've been trying to look at Brandon's paper to see if he has a written <laughs> down there, but he's been thwarting me. Uh, Does it start with a T apostrophe Z? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Terry, that's one, two, three, Zulkin! Zulkin! Yay, Zulkin! Uh, for those of people who don't know, Zulkin is a game uh, where you have a giant center gear, a physical gear made of plastic, and then you have different gears attached to it, and every round after each place or place of their turn, the gear is going to turn. And then as those turn, all the other gears are going to put it down here. So you're placing down your worker, and the other gears are going to turn. So you, these workers are going to progress further and further and further uh, down the line. Um, Zolka is one of those games that, in my mind, um, they have like the Harvard classics, like uh, just the games and consider the English literary canon, like Hamlet or the Principia Mathematics. Zulkin is one of those games that's just a classic in board gaming history. It's yeah. one of just the most solid games for there. You could play it a hundred times and go out and hammer nails for it. I love adding the element of time into a worker mm-hmm. placement game. Mm-hmm. Because the thing about Zulkin, Zulkin is you're placing your worker down, but you don't take the action. You actually get to take the action as you pull the workers back. And so the longer you leave your worker on the board, the more powerful actions that you're going to be able yeah. to take. Because the gear's turning, and it's getting better and better. Yes, yeah. every every turn of the gear makes your workers better. But Depending of, on the spot, because there's other spots where you want you don't want to wait till all the way... Because there's some spots that have different actions that you want yeah. to You take. can also go too far past. You can let exactly. your workers yeah. overcook. And they yeah. just come back to you and fail if they... <laughs> if you let them go all, all the way, way to But the that end. never yeah. happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, but another element of the timing in Zulking that I think gets missed a lot is knowing when to put workers on and when to pull back. Because you can only do one on your turn. You can only either place workers or pull workers back. And so... As I'm sitting there calculating which actions I want and which I want to pull my workers off, mm-hmm. 
if I get into a situation where I've put all three or four or five of my workers down, I'm going to be in that situation where I have to pull back. You don't have to pull all of your workers back, but that's one turn of the game that you lose by pulling a worker back if you've made that mistake. So there's the timing of the mm-hmm. gears and there's the timing of when to place, when to pull back. In games like Agricola, and I'm actually going to say worker placement games in general, usually more workers is better. Sulking adds a dilemma. Um, sometimes you don't want your fifth worker. You just have to feed him. It's really hard to manage the five workers even. I think you can actually cap out at six. I never try it. You can't like place three, place three, remove two, place one on. Like you often, you have to have a really good reason to get your family size up. I like how it does that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I like how um, you can kind of have some high ceiling strategies in Zolkin. Uh, the third spot on the yellow track where you can convert goods and food back and forth into each other. You can really go for some shoot the moon strategies with that and like try and score 140 points. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't call it pressure luck. I would call it pressure skill. It's really hard to pull off, but when you do, it's super rewarding and you feel like a super genius. Yeah, uh, this is probably the best answer is Zulkin, but I didn't I didn't think of it as a worker placement game. I know you're placing workers, but there it's like open. You're not blocked from the spot completely ever, right? Oh, you super are. Yeah, you there's only one be, spot yeah. on the gear. Oh, oh, you mean are you blocked from a wheel? Yeah, a given wheel. Yeah, you that's have to pay I mean. a lot of food and be potentially farther than start farther than you ever wanted to be. That's right, yeah. but it could be good to start further too in some cases. Yeah, but right. you still have. I forgot you have to pay, which you is have a fun dilemma. Yeah, yeah you have to pay food, which is you could like. Yeah, you can't feed your workers, so it's absolutely worker placement in my definition of worker placement. I just miss that. And you have to and feed your workers. Okay. If I would have thought of it, it probably would have been my answer too. But I failed. Mine is viticulture. Um, this is this is one of the first worker placement games I played. Uh, maybe my second or third. And I, I, to me, it's just, it's, it's those, it's those little grapes on your board that you're like pushing and, and making wine. And it feels like a thematic worker placement game because you're, you're aging your, your grapes Mm -hmm. and you can age it to a certain degree and then go, okay, I'm making my grapes into wine. And now your wine is aging and now you can sell the wine. I just really like it. I like that you have one big meeple where you can overpower a spot and go to where other people have been. And that's kind of the innovation of the game that I liked. And it wasn't in the original game. And everybody, like, had huge gripes about it, about it being, like, too tight. I also like the seasons. I feel like that's a little different in a game. And if you get the expansion, you have have one more season. But, yeah, my number one is Viticulture. get to the end of the show where we look at Pipeline. Oh, this is a beautiful game. The box art is absolutely fantastic. The artist is Ian O'Toole. Yeah, Ian O'Toole. That that excites me. We were trying to figure out what else he did. What else is Ian O'Toole? Among among a a lot of others. He also does the graphic design of most games as well as the art. And I feel like he's really good at that. And looking at this game, it, it looks very much like Mm-hmm. a um Patal Asserta game because of yeah. Ian O'Toole. And Ian O'Toole does, also uh, I did um all the other ones within uh Lacerda's uh Eagle Griffin game. So he did um 
The Venus. First Venus. Venus. Yeah. I don't know about the first one. This the second edition for sure. And uh, the Gallerist. And that <laughs> and like this really has that feel. And CO two. Like this looks very much like CO two right here. Yeah, to yeah, me. it does. But like, y- yeah, the it's it's by Capstone Games, which their their production's usually really good to me as for Euro games goes. The boards look good. Yeah. There's the, cubes, which is perfectly fine things. with me. Lots there's of things. bigger meeples than usual. They're just slightly bigger. There's I little tiny cards with a lot of stuff on it. I see that we've got pipes. I ha- I will just say I've only heard the name mm-hmm. of this game. I've not done any research on it, but I'm seeing pipes on tiles, so I feel like we're going to be like matching up pipes in sort of a, a zero kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I've not looked into it too much. I know Jacob has more than probably any of us possibly, but I I think you're drafting in a weird way from the the central board, yeah, and then you're making pipes on your actual board. Because like in I'm looking at the setup, and you've got your own like personal space for pipes. I think that's really neat. And there's, and there's purple in the game. Yeah, it looks and like it's a kind of economic game. It's I expect you're going to have to crunch money, crunch numbers, worry about rent and stuff. And then it looks like you definitely have these pipe games. So I'm probably going to be connecting pipes to my own personal board. I'm getting kind of a power grid vibe off of it, kind of a little bit there, connecting things together for this issue. Okay, like you're not really excited about it, right? You're not that excited? I mean, I read some reviews, and both the reviews just seem kind of like... Seem kind of met, and when I had them talking about that, I kind of seem kind of met as well for this one. But I like economic development games mm-hmm. for that issue. I think the thing that kind of turned me off is one of those games where money is a little tight, and you're kind of like stretching together for these ones. Um, so have people I, been saying it's dry and yeah, a little dry calculation. Uh, but, there's I no mean, way I don't like this game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I mean, I like economic development games, and like, uh, there's are a lot of games people do describe as dry that are my good game. Uh, games. Uh, I'm glad somebody else purchased it because then I can try it without. <laughs> dry doesn't bother me. Oh, if dry. The, is... If the mechanics are solid and it and it's a good engaging game, um, it, yeah. that it doesn't matter. The drier, uh, the better. Unless it's like. It's great looking. Unless it's a game that shouldn't be dry, but Euro games I think are fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited for this game. I think this is going to be really cool. I'm looking at all of the the pieces. Um, I'm seeing, like, so you've got different grades of oil. I, is it I'm, a five-page rule book or a hundred-page rule book? Oh, that's a good question. There are... It's like medium. For like actual rules, there's ten pages. There's two pages of appendices. Um uh, the game's designed by Ryan Courtney, and it looks like from BGG, this is his only game. Interesting. Or his first game. The weight complexity is listed at 3.77, so it's on the, the higher side. Yeah. And the playtime is 60 to 120 minutes. I'm guessing it depends on player count. And players. Player type. <laughs> and yeah. that's not very long to no. me at all. Yeah. I mean, I'm... two hours, that's good. But, I mean, that's... It's probably two and a half hours the first game, right? Oh, probably, yeah. yeah. And not including rules teach, so it might be a three-hour session, which, again, for me is, like, fine. Yeah, for yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I'm super excited for yeah, this. No two to four players. It says yeah. best at three. Well, well, I guess we'll put that to the test. Um, uh, I'm very stoked about this game. This is one of my, like, games of the year that I've been waiting to come out, uh, it's, so it's highly anticipated for me. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, what's good about Justine and Matt is they're just as addicted to the board gaming hobby as I am, so sometimes I don't have to buy these games. Yeah. <laughs> and they come often enough to where I go, cool, I don't have to buy that. I could just buy my little stupid games and... <laughs> yeah. When we rely on you for those <laughs> games. Yeah. And just be the filler guy for now. I want to see what BGG lists, at, lists the mechanics oh, as, yeah, although yeah, yeah. it's not... It's not, like, that's not always very accurate. They're it? way too loose. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. they call everything a worker placement game. Mm-hmm. Um, the mechanisms are route network building, which definitely looks like yeah, route I, network I building. Yeah, I see that. And tile placement. That's all they have. Under the category, they have economic, industry, manufacturing. That actually looks all very accurate. Yeah. I There has to be more to it than just route and network building, right? Well, the economic and, and yeah, industry manufacturing yeah. that like is listed as a category, but I think it's also like it, a big part of the game is Ooh, the economic part, which I'm I really excited. like economic games personally. They force me to do math, which is I like. I love math. Yeah, I I don't like math, but I like <laughs> I like pushing myself like out of my comfort zone. Okay, so three expectations are very high. And one one negative. Uh, no, I don't think... I mean, this game is probably yes. a Euro game involving money. I think I'll like it just because okay. I tend to like these games for these ones right here. And so if you join us next week, we will tell you about our actual opinions about Pipeline. Uh, we would like to thank Lindsay Johnson for composing the intro and the music for this podcast. Also, check us out at our social media Cards and Cubes on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Yes. Um, you could email us at cccrpodcast at gmail.com. Ask us questions. Maybe we'll answer it on the show. So um, thanks for joining us, and we will talk at you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.